This, uh, this may sound a little bit strange, but one of the first things that I want to ask of you today um, is I want you to go back and listen, especially if you weren't here last week, but even if you were here last week, I'd like you to go online and listen to last week's sermon. Uh, sometimes, believe it or not, I'll actually speak the sermon and um, either forget things that were said in it or... Um, well, actually, just forget a lot of things. And last week's sermon was long. It was a big mother. And uh, I'd really like you to, to go back and listen to it. I really believe more than anything that uh, God's saying a lot of things to us through what it means to be a powerful church. And uh, so even if you were here last week or you weren't especially, I'd like you to go online and listen to that sermon. I think it describes a lot of where we're at and what I believe God wants to do in and through us as we're on mission with him. So if you'd do that, that'd be really great. Uh, just to recap that, last week's sermon was about being a powerful church. And, uh, and what that came down to is we were looking at Acts 5 as we saw um, Luke giving an account of, the, of a new, fresh church. He's given some contrast of some not-so-fresh things, some sin that had happened early on in the church. We talked about Ananias and Sapphira. I'm not going to rehash that. It's a little bit of a bummer story if you want to see that and listen uh, to that podcast. But the beautiful thing is, is the Scripture, for me, just kept saying over and over again, is God doing beautiful things in your life? And uh, some people call that signs and wonders, or we looked at the Latin word miraculum, and if you were to, to whittle that down as much as possible, it means God does beautiful things. And uh, the question is, is God doing beautiful things, and, and where are we at in that? As we, as we walk by faith, are we expecting beautiful things? Are we expecting a sign of the kingdom, a sign of our king? Are we ex- expecting to be astonished and in wonderment, and uh, are we are our hearts there? As Billy asked us this morning to just start to to bring our hearts to God, to abandon maybe some things that are in our hearts, and just con- continue to release up and respond to who God is. Um, I just i I think about uh, last week's message and and what it means to have God do beautiful things, and and. In that passage, uh, Peter's shadow is a sign and symbol of the power of the kingdom. And people are being healed just by being uh, touched by his shadow. And then we talked about what the two ingredients of that powerful church and a church that cast a godly shadow, a Christ-likeness, is that in a shadow you need light. And in light there's truth. And so when truth comes to bear the weight of that and the, the power of that, then we, we find ourselves sometimes even in tension, but, but what truth and light does is it illuminates God's way. And so when we allow that light of Christ to be in our life, and then the number two thing that happens in a shadow, one, is that light, and number two, there needs to be the presence of somebody. And in this case, obviously it's the presence of God, the power of God. And so it's God's truth and His power that's manifest in a church that walks in these ways, that casts this, this holy shadow. And it was a beautiful picture. So I even just want to remind you to go back and read Acts 5. It's really a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in the church. And we get to lean back into that. And we get to look at the ancient church and be refreshed by that and go, okay, this is God's intention, is for us to be a powerful people. <sighs> But here's the real news. The real news is we can talk and we can vision cast and we can talk about how much we want to be that church. But in the end, by faith, we have to allow that to happen in our life. We have to allow God's presence to invade places that maybe we've locked away. Maybe there's parts of our hearts or our minds or our experience where we're not allowing God to be present. Where we're not allowing the light of God's truth to permeate our darkness our sin. And so we can talk all day long about being a powerful community of people that are called here in Portland to affect Portland and to be the sign of that power and of that kingdom and the symbols of that. But the truth is, is we have to walk by faith and God has to increase our belief. He has to give us a greater quotient of that. And in that, on our quest to be in a powerful church, in that journey, 
we find ourselves afraid. We find ourselves in fear. Sometimes we don't live faithfully. We live in fear or even worse yet, foolishness. And so as we we're on a quest to have God take us and empower us in this journey, I just want to acknowledge where we're at as a people today with you. We may have some fear and some anxiety. We may be a little upset and, uh, about where we're going in change. And to be a powerful church would mean that you're constantly changing, that there's a power system coming through you. We're a conduit community, right? We're the holders of, of what God is pushing through us and in, in His power and the gospel power on purpose towards our mission. And so the deal is, is that's a scary place to be to have God actually come through and start jerking some of our systems and renewing our minds and our hearts. And, and I want to say some of the practical change that we have here that's going on here at Red Sea with my family and probably a few others being sent from here this summer to go plant another church to advance the gospel in Southern California. That hasn't been easy for people. I've gotten lots of comments and lots of questions, and I actually believe people have left the church because of it. Okay, so that's a hard spot to go, wow, I, it's really hard to feel powerful when some of people's presence is not, is not in or committed to the change. And so I just want to acknowledge some of that to say it's scary for people to have leaders come and go, and sometimes that's not always the way we want to see it. It's really extremely hard. The other thing is as we talk about buying a property, um, that's, that's hard for people. Um, a lot of people at Red Sea don't own their own home. What does that mean to own something? What does that mean? And, and I'll even move it from this. I've been saying this. We need to become owner mentality, not renter mentality. One of the changes, I, I want to take that back. I want to say what we are is we're actually not renters or owners. Whatever God gives us, and we'll talk a little bit further about this today, is we're uh, trustees where we actually have no rights in what God gives us because God has all the rights. He's the true owner to everything. And what we are is we're charged with responsibility. But a lot of times we call that owners, but the deal is, is God's entrusting us with this, the life that he's given us, and he's asking us to steward that. And so as we become a more powerful church, it's good to recognize that some of the changes that are happening in order for us to become powerful, some of the transitions are scary and hard and even repulsive to our flesh. We don't like change. And so as we even talk about partnership, there's flyers when you came in. Every other seat has a couple of these. And we're talking about training. We want to be very specific about some of the changes that we think God's going to do to make us a more powerful church in 2011. So we really want you to come and experience that and be a part of that. We want you to be committed to the change. Um, and then on the other side of that flyer is just a community dinner. There's no strings attached. We just want to get together and be a family. And if we have to be a little afraid together, we'll be afraid together. If we have to repent together, we're going to repent. If we need to confess, we're going to confess. But we're going to be together. So here's the picture I get. And we'll get into some of the scriptures. The picture that I have of us, and it was even confirmed this morning by somebody else who uh, we were praying with as, as the worship team was praying, is the picture that I have for us is the leadership, some of the leadership, the elders and, uh, and missional community leaders, we have stepped, we know that we've been in the boat together, but we've been sitting on the shore. And the picture I have is that, that we knowingly have kicked us out into the water. And we've talked about these things that we think are coming ahead that we believe God is going to lead us to. But it really drives us crazy when the boat starts to move a little bit and we see things like an eddy up here or a tree that fell. And the way I feel about us is we, the leaders, cannot tell you every single thing that's going to happen in that river or what's going to happen in that current. But there's an expectation of us all to go, I need to be stabilized. I don't like that it looks like we're a little bit that direction one moment and that way, and then we actually spun around. I think this is what 
I want to talk about today is kind of the, the change, the currents. And I want us to go to God, and I want us to really do some business. We're really trying to, to do a little bit of a longer worship today so that we can reflect and respond to going, this is where we're at. We're riding in this, and we know we're going a particular direction. But dab nab it with God Sometimes it's really hard when he's not telling us every single detail that we would like to hear in all of this. And so when we do have things that are revealing or we think that are very tangible, we really want you to participate in it. Whether it's the SOMA training that will happen in February or if it's the community dinner, we really want you to be a part of that. Us together going down this, this current, this river of life. And so I just really just wanted to start out with some real straight shooting today, I want us to really see um, that sometimes the gospel of transformation, if, if we're saying, okay, no matter whatever level of power that we have as a community on mission with God because of the gospel, God still needs to continue transforming us. Do you know that that's what we actually signed up for? The word is called sanctification. It means that we're constantly not indie like our city, but we're dependy. We're dependent on God over and over again. We're coming back and being reconciled over and over again as God transforms us. And a part of the journey that we're on is the part that looks like you want to shape us through good and bad circumstances, God. You want to shape us through uncomfortable things. You want to surface things. As we're moving around, the truth is is we want to freak out on the raft. I can't, have you ever whitewater rafted? I can't get my foot underneath that little circle enough because that's going to secure you, right? And you got one foot out and you got your paddle. But when you start moving around, and even the guide has been down the, the road ten times or a hundred times or a thousand times, and they'll tell you all of these different things about the current. But the truth is, even with the best guide, the boat can flip at any moment. Because ultimately the guide may know a lot about the journey, but the guide isn't in control of the journey. We're not in control of this ride. God is. So this is why I want you to listen to last week's sermon. I believe that there's some stuff in there. It's really packed full of it. And I I really want God to speak to us. And I want us to respond with purity. I want God to, to have at it. If you're upset and you're full of anxiety or you have fear... I want you to go tell God that. We're going to give you an opportunity today to do that. And you know what? And you may feel disconnected and go, well, I don't know if I'm so much a part of this community and where it's going. Well, you're here today. I don't know what God exactly wants to speak to you or how He wants to lasso you in further into community, but you're here to hear this message. You're here to be... It reminds me of when I used to motorcycle ride in the 90s with my brother. Down in Southern California, we would go into these canyons, and it's called canyon scratching. And basically, you're laying the bike down as far as you can get to your knees so you can have holes in your knees. But, so you're going down next to the pavement, right, going 40, 50, 60 through these hairpin turns, Ortega Canyon, Silverado Canyon. And you're going back and forth. Sometimes I'd wear skateboard pads because I just wanted to feel the plastic as the, as the bike was laying down. My wife hates to hear this, but... I eventually got in a motorcycle accident, and, um, and along that journey, there's good and bad circumstances. The bad circumstance of, of, of ruining a motorcycle and uh, getting, it, uh, getting into a collision between a, a Corvette and a motorcycle isn't good when you're laying on the ground, um, but there was good things that came out of it, believe it or not. I was glad not to have the payment anymore of a really expensive motorcycle because it got totaled. I was glad that I wasn't killed and that my eyes were awakened to the danger uh, that I was putting myself in as a father. Um, but one of the key lessons that I learned as I would ride with my brother a lot is, um, is there's an acute awareness, and especially the faster you go. That's the adrenaline, right? And so we would come around these big these big swooping corners at illegal speeds. And um, we, every once in a while, um, a car wouldn't see us, and we would, we would bounce off the side of a car. And uh, this particularly happened to my brother. 
when I would watch this, and, and uh, sometimes in the corners you were most nervous because you were, had to be defensive, right? But in the journey, in a lot of these turns, cars or no cars, there was a thing that seemed counterintuitive where you actually had to hit the gas even more coming right in the middle of a turn when you, you instinctively wanted to slow down. What I'm saying is our journey is that we need to rely all the more on God right now when we instinctively want to pull back. When we want to just sit back and go, well, I'll just see how things go. This is actually the time that our senses need to be acute. Our, our spiritual senses towards the Holy Spirit. This is the time to fast. So you go, oh, I'm hungry. Every part of my stomach is wanting to touch food and be satisfied. That's what our spirit should be doing. Is saying, every part of me is dissatisfied with what happens in the flesh. And I need only your power and your provision. And every piece of our spirit should be wanting to reach out to God. This is the time for us to be fasting. This is the time for our senses to be acutely aware of what God wants to do with us. That's how we'll receive a lot more of the power of what God wants to do with us. So I've got two directions that we go. We, uh, when the change trigger comes, the, the, the trigger of change releases uh, the tension one of two ways. We go into foolishness or we go into faithfulness. And, um, and we forget what the original exchange was with God. And I'd like you to turn. We're going to hit a few scriptures real quickly here. Matthew 13. It's a really short story. Verse 45 and 46. And as you're going there, I just want to remind you what we normally do. And I'd like you to think about what you normally do. What we do is when we get nervous and change is happening and we're rolling down the river and we're going, okay, God, seems like you got our story going. It does seem like in the end we're going to be more powerful. It does seem like this is really where you're leading us. We're trying to live by faith. This is really hard, but as we're moving forward, God, and we think about 2011 and in our personal lives and our marriages and our families or maybe lack of marriages or our lack of relationships, and we're going, what can I hold on to? And as we're moving forward and we're like, okay, change is a part of, of, of life, Lord, we know that. Um, a lot of times we have to see the tension of culture that wants to pull the boat over and say, um, self-navigate. Start to self-navigate. Take the reins again. Take the oar. Start to, to create your own direction. And so many times we'll hear stuff like, um, the greatest time in my life is when I self-empowered or, or changed things. Or the hardest time for me was blank, but I stepped up to the plate. We hear lots of self-empowerment and we, we say, oh, the biggest impact in my life or the greatest success or the lowest of lows was blank. And what I think God is saying more than anything is all of those moments in your life where you say the greatest impact or the, the, the greatest fear I have today or whatever, I, I would say this is, is God evident in that? Is God with you? And is Jesus the one who's ultimately making the biggest impact? Is he with you at the lowest of lows? And does he have anything to do with being with you in that valley? And I just want to remind us that, that Jesus is with, with us right now. But the hard times do tend to trigger whether or not we will increase our awareness of, his, of Him or decrease that. And so, as we continue to move towards change, I want us to see that. There's a story that I think reminds us of the first exchange of how we even got here. If you're a Christ follower... If you're in community, if you're here and uh, you're following Jesus, there's just a simple story here in Matthew, uh, verse 45 of Matthew 13. It says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Okay, look at that. It says, A merchant in search of fine pearls. So he's looking, he's, he's going all over the place, 
He's going all over the city. Maybe he's going to, to jewelry districts in New York and San Francisco and Antwerp, and he's going all over the world. And uh, he comes in here into Portland, and uh, he's got this bag of uh, pearls that he considers very valuable. He's got these these valuables and um, and his wealth kind of carrying around with him. And he walks into a shop, and he had heard out on the street that this one guy had a very valuable pearl. And so he walks into the shop and says, "Hey, I hear you have this one pearl. I collect pearls. I I, I collect valuable things. I'm I'm in search of that." I, I'm a merchant of that. And he comes in and he looks at the guy at the counter and the guy on the counter says, yeah, I have the pearl you're talking about. And, uh, and the man says, well, can I see it? I, I really want to see it. I've been in search of, of just beautiful things. I hear you have one beautiful pearl here. So the guy reaches under the counter and brings on top encased in this case, and opens the case. And there is the biggest, most grand, beautiful pearl that this merchant's ever seen. And so the guy says, what do you want for that? That's, I've got to have that. That I have to have. And the guy says, well, what do you have? And he's like, well... I've got these pearls, and, and this one's a great one, and I picked this one up in, in New York, and this one in Los Angeles, and, and I've got uh, these gems. Would you take these in exchange for that? And he goes, I'll take those, but it's going to be more than that. Okay. Um, well, uh, I drove a pretty nice car here. Here's the keys to that. And, uh, I mean, this pearl, I've got to have this pearl, so would you take my car? Yeah, I'll, I'll take your car, but it's, it's going to take more than that. Well, um, okay, let me make a quick cell phone call to my wife and describe what I've got here before I do this one, but think, uh, how about the, the title to my home, the deed? Yeah. And that way, you know, we can live in our... In our uh, our retreat home. Oh, you have a retreat home? No, it'll take your retreat home as well. Well, that wasn't the only car we have, too. What other cars do you have? Well, we have, an, we have a, a Lexus as well. Oh, well, I'll take the Lexus, too. Okay. Um, what's it going to take to have this? I, I, I want this pearl of great price. I, I, th- what I want is, is this pearl and, and I've given you every car we're talking about my, my house and my deeds and, and, and my bank account and my 401k and I'm cashing everything out because I need this pearl a great price this is what it's all about for me and he says have you given me everything the merchant says to him and, and he says yeah are you hiding anything do you have anything else well, um, yeah, right now I'm, I'm going to inherit a house from my grandma. And, uh, I suppose you need that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to need that house too. I'm going to need it all. Okay. This was worth it. This treasure is mine. My house, my houses, my cars, everything else I possess to possess this treasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for this this exchange. That was a lot of change in my life. But this is this is worth it all. Yes. Hey, sir. Yeah. Come back here. Yeah. 
the merchant says, take your keys back. Here's your house deed. Here's your other pearls and, and gems. Here's your wallet. What do you mean? I thought I could have this. You can. But now that you possess the pearl of great price, I also want you to have these things, but I want you to know that I own your house. I own your cars, but I want you to use them. I own all of your wealth. You mean I can have this and I can still have those things? Yeah, but I want you to know who owns them. We forget who owns it all. We forget who created it all. We forget the original sacrifice that we said when we were baptized, when we made a profession of faith of of life in the way that God is going to take us down the river. We forget that when we get snagged on something and are pulled temporarily into an eddy that, that stalls the forward movement. We forget that we're not really trusting the leaders, or each other that ultimately we're trusting that God is working through us all as a, as a fallible organism, but that we are connected to the head, the authority that Colossians talks about. We forget that God owns it all. We forget the original exchange, and we forget this. We forget the course of action that God is great that God put the stars in place, the planets, the system, that God put it all into place, that God is big, and that God is over it all, in all and through all, Ephesians 4. We forget that God's gracious, that we can be confident in God. As we're writing, we can be confident that, oh, did I accidentally move the boat too much? Did I, did I blow it? We can be confident before the Lord and Jesus Christ. If we can come before God, we don't have to fear man. We don't have to fear outcomes. We get to be confident in who God is. And we forget this. And this came up in our prayer time this morning a lot. God is good. That God's goodness is upon us. That God is the one who says, you get the pearl of great price. You get my son but you do not need to protect any other part of your life. You do not need to have your faith squashed by bad or hard or even incredibly good according to the world's circumstances. The things that seem to pull you away from understanding the treasure, it's, it, it's, it's neither here nor there. You have the treasure and everything else is added unto you. Put your eyes back on the treasure. Seek first my kingdom. Understand in Genesis that when you feel chaotic, when it just feels like the boat is unanchored, that I'm hovering over it. That when I speak, I speak order into your chaos. Well, it feels pretty chaotic when change is happening. When us as a community are changing, we're talking about buying a property. When we're talking about a partnership with another church. When we're talking about our, our pastor that founded the church to go to go plant another church. That feels chaotic. Well, God is waiting to speak clearly into our lives and to anchor us up because He's that good. We forget that God is good. God has given you many gifts and He will give you many more. He will give you life abundant. He will lift your life through the power of resurrection. But He loves you. You are the beloved. He will not forsake you. So when we're floating together and we're, we're, we're even doing seating arrangement chart, I need you to sit over here. I need you to go on another boat. I need you to do this. As we're doing this and we're floating down the river and we're seeking the Holy Spirit's presence and the truth of God as we're moving forward, we're at the throne of God saying, Lord, in your mercy, you are good to us and you are allowing us to do this, but He has you. I don't know where you are at today. I don't know what fear or anxiety you have toward change and the things that are moving and what God's going to ask of you this year. But I do not want you to forget that God is good. God is gracious. God is great and above it all, And 
God is glorious. He has a story that ends in complete victory and in total light. So I want to look at 2 Corinthians 11. If you have the treasure, if we have the treasure, the treasure in our life on the course of change, on the course of being hidden in uh, the ark of who Christ is as we travel with Him, we understand these great things about the way of Christ, the current of life. We understand that our boat needs to be secured by God's greatness, His goodness, His graciousness, His glory. And as we develop a trust in the Holy Spirit, that will be tested. And good and bad circumstances will come over us over and over again to, to shape us, as we talked about sanctifications. If you're interested in looking at that, uh, Philippians 2.12 and 2.13 will talk about how God wants to save you over and over again. And the sign of mature Christianity is when you are aware, acutely aware, and I, you've heard me say this before, of, of the fact that you need to be saved all the time. Like you're aware of what God needs to redeem and save and rescue from right now. That's a mature Christian. An immature Christian or parts of our blindness is that we don't see what God needs to rescue. And a lot of times we think that's a circumstance. Well, you need to rescue my job. You need to rescue my financial situation. You need to rescue the relationship. No, it's an internal thing. He's constantly rescuing your soul from total collision, from total corruption. And that's what the mature Christian is. But that's how this gets tested. As we go through uncomfortable circumstances as God is shaping us. God has more for us. There's no circumstance. Here's the big distortion, guys. That we think circumstances are bigger than God. That we think what's coming down on us. Think of Moses getting with his back. He's in this cul-de-sac, his back is against this huge body of water, and the enemy is coming down, and the enemy is coming down from a hill with chariots and horses, and there he is standing with all of his people, and it looks much bigger. The gospel of Jesus Christ is bigger than any circumstance you're in right now. The distortion is when you believe something else is bigger than God. And so, look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, as we look at Paul, we see he's a great example of somebody who's been through bad and good circumstances and how the gospel wins. We'll close up with this. Because actually Billy's going to the back to tell me that my time's up. Okay, here we go. Chapter 11, uh, let's go verse 23b. So that means we'll start halfway in it. For more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death... Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day and I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. His middle name is Danger. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. But I thought you had Jesus. Why are you going through all this? Why would God put anybody through all of this? I thought this doesn't happen once you hold Jesus' hand. And the toil of hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches who is weak and I'm not weak, who is made to fall and I'm, and I'm not indignant. Look at down in 12, look at verse 7. It says, so those are his experiences, right? And now he talks personally about this thorn in his side, he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because he's going, by God's grace, I made it through all that. The laundry list of hell, the laundry list of bad circumstances, the reason I sh- all the reasons I should have checked out on God, 
All the reasons I should have said, I'm done, let me out of the boat, pull it over, tether it to a tree, I'm getting out, done. For all of the, through all of those experiences, he says, he says this, So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Remember he talked about his daily attention with the churches. He's talking about his daily life now. He says, A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I'll boast of all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. We're going to close with Psalm Let's go to Psalm 24. And for your notes, look at Psalm... um, Well, we said we were going to talk about Psalm 69. Let's just go to Psalm 69. Since I had them print that up today. Okay, where are we? What's going on? Why am I reading all this? The idea here is that in in the Gospel, you were made alive from death. Then God gave you the identity of His Son. He hid you and rooted you down and built you up in His Son. So God not only took you from trespasses and sin and transgression, he trans- the Gospel began transforming you right at the very beginning. Being an enemy of God, He made you a son and a daughter. Then you have an identity as a son and a daughter, as a missionary, as a learner, as a servant, as all of these things. But primarily, your greatest identity now is that of Christ, being Christian, a follower of Christ, being hidden in Him, vine and branches, being fully connected and abiding in Him. Then the next step, once that's established, that your life has been reestablished and you've been reborn, and you find out that you not only live because of Jesus, but you also walk in Jesus... Then from there, and you live a life worthy of the gospel, you'll run into test and trial and temptation. And a piece of the gospel transformation is that we go through tough circumstances. I think maybe we, we as a consensus, feel as though we're in some tough circumstances. The change is causing anxieties and fear to arise. Another great place to go that we don't have time to go is Matthew 6, that God will address how much He loves you and the way He thinks about you and the way He'll provide for you. But here we are being transformed through all of these circumstances. We see that Paul has had all these ridiculous experiences. And we also see that he daily lives with a thorn in his side. Not to mention that he's lost friends because of the gospel. How does that transform you when you claim Jesus and you lose family members and you lose friends? Or you make tough decisions because of the gospel and people get mad at you or persecute you or, or, or you're, you're persona non grata. You're not well-liked. So when we live for the gospel, I, I go to Psalm 69 often, especially verses 1 through 5, and I want you to hear this, and then we're going to go into our worship. Save me, O God, from the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. You know that feeling? Have you ever been in the Columbia River and you're, it's a little slimy, especially out at Rooster Rock? It's super slimy. The water's coming up to here. And you're feeling that slime. He's feeling that slime, but he's also feeling like it's, it's, it's not going to change. The right change isn't happening. He can't rescue himself. And so here he is. And, and in this respect, we're talking about enemies and sin. We're talking about outside circumstances, oppression. We're also talking about the inside, transgression. He says, For the waters have come up to my neck. I, I sink in deep mire where there's no foothold I have come into deep waters and flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with my crying out. Remember, Paul just said, I've cried out three times. God, take me out of this negative circumstance. I can't believe this is happening to me. And my throat is parched. That's a weird contrast. You are being overwhelmed by the water, yet You're crying out so hard that you're being parched and you're so focused on the rescue. It's not like, hmm, now I'm not parched. It's, 
I'm crying out. My throat is parched while all of this, these billions of gallons are coming up over me. I need you to save me. My eyes grow dim. It means I'm blind. And I'm a fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. I'm growing, my eyes grow dim with waiting for my God, my patience in you. You've got to show me direction. You've got to show up here. My patience is waning. I'm weary, God. Number four, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. So there's my internal struggle of not trusting you, of not being faithful to you. But there's also those outside of me that hate me and want me to be destroyed. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? He's being accused. They're lying and saying he's ripped off stuff. He's a, he's a thief. And then look at five, his, his confession. He says, oh God, you know my folly. You know I'm foolish. You know when t- times get tough, instead of being faithful to you, I become foolish. I forget who you are yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I forget that you're my great anchor. I'm screaming out here, God. And yet, while all of this is happening to me, as I feel like I'm about to go under, I have no foothold. It's a slimy bottom. All my, neighbor, all my enemies are on the shore. This is not a good spot. But all of this is driving him where? To repentance. To confession. Back to our relationship with God. We get to travel with each other, but you know what God does through each other? He reminds us of our sin. He reminds us that we're foolish. We, we travel foolishly together. But in that weakness, and in all of those persecutions, and of all of our scary times together, God reminds us, He's our rescuer. I'll save you. You can yell at the top of your lungs, I'm coming to get you, son coming to get you, daughter. I love you. You're my beloved. We've gone this far transferring and transforming your character and your behavior and your identity. You think I'm just going to let you go? I have a purpose for your life. From day one. See little babies be born from day one. God wants to bless. God wants to empower. Look at the struggle of labor. Christy Conant can attest to this as she's sitting in the back. Was the suffering worth having your baby boy and your baby girl on January 1 at 11 o'clock? Was the suffering, did that suffering lead to joy? You bet. Would she do it again? Maybe not as willingly, but she would. God's saying, through all the suffering circumstances, through all the hardship, I bear joy. And here's how he ends. Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I've done are not hidden from you. So let's not hide from God. If we're all in the boat together, in missional communities and in relationships and dinner, and we're going to have our family dinner, and as we come here and as we gather, and as this is a piece of the rhythm of our life, let God save us again. Let God save you. But verse 5 of Psalm 69 is confession. We need to repent. We need to say, I'm freaking out here. I'm freaking out. It's tough. I hate the outside circumstances. And God's going, and you so badly want to blame and get mad and argue and, and reason with the circumstances. You so badly want to crawl out of your own skin and and have your own foothold. You so want to make and, and empower yourself to be in control of your circumstances. But as we float Red Sea into 2011, I want to assure you that God has you. I promise you. We will grow in our faith. We will grow in our Christ-likeness. But God has the story of all stories. And He's asking us to lean more deeply into our belief of His story, of the truth of His story. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to confess and come before the power of forgiveness. Where His body was broken for us. Where we do this in remembrance that God saves over and over and over again. I hope that brings you joy today.
I hope that your suffering ends today in communion and your relationship with the Savior. I hope that you'll see his, his shed blood represented by the wine and the juice truly is for the reconciliation of your sainthood that you can walk not as sinner, but as saint because of the grace of God, that His grace is totally sufficient for you, that God has space for you and your madness and your anxiety and all the ways that you're sinning and hurting each other and, and, and hurting your neighbors. He has forgiveness for you. Do you want that? It's here today if you want that, if you're crying out, if you have a parched soul. And then from here, you're going to walk through these doors. And we've placed a station in here. You'll see where you can confess or you can read something about Christ. You can have some meditative space. And then we're going to have you walk up the hallway back there. And it has Scriptures. You can take your time. And people can walk around you. You may not make it past here today. You may just need to confess. And we're going to give you time to do that. And then over there, as you walk through the hallway, there will be verses about us being in this together. About the way that we're connected to our Savior and that we're His body. And the greatest miracle, the beautiful thing, is that God brought you into His family to be the body. And He is the head. And we're one. That He's the bridegroom and we're the bride you'll be reminded of that back here. And then, you know, the truth is we say it all of the time, but when God does powerful things that are beautiful, miraculum, right? Miraculous things in your life that you would testify and you would just speak. You would just say, you know, God's in my life. Hey, I'm not trying to wig you out, dude, but God made the difference here. You know that time where I was supposed to be at my lowest of lows? I didn't feel that the way I think you thought I did because God was with me. You know, when I did freak out, I just want you to know I confessed one Sunday and that, that blew open the doors of God's fruit in my life. And I want to give you some of that. Do you know we end up at the culture piece? We end up at speaking to the world as a sign of God's power that the transformation didn't just start when you went, oh, I'm a Christian. It went through your tough times and your change. And, and we're going to ask something bold of you. You can even write a confession down somewhere along the line. Like, I confess I feel this way about the community or being your child. Or I confess a, a sin that I'm repenting of that I need you to rescue me from and forgive me, Lord. But somewhere along that journey, I want you to reflect today for yourself if you heard something today or you brought something in, a concern, and confess it. And then you can pin it to a tree, little tree back here in that room. And here's the bold part. Write your name. And we're going to ask you to be a community of confessors, of people that, that come to the throne of God and trust Him and be, can be confident in the grace that He has for you, that He has a good thing for you. He's not going to slap your hand or give you a bad noogie. That God loves you. He's going to embrace you. And you'll be brand new. And, uh, and we're going to have somebody take those. And they're going to put them up on the screen. And as we're worshiping and as you're coming out of there and as you're praying together and as you're maybe praying by yourself or reading a scripture, we're going to see those and we're going to, we're, we're going to go, yeah, that's me. Maybe somebody else wrote it. Maybe somebody else confessed it, but we're going to go, that's me. And you know, the truth is, every single one that goes up, I hope that you'll go, oh, that's me. Not because it's you, but because we are me. That we're together. That we recognize that we're the same. That we're equal because of Jesus. Pray with me as the musicians come up. Lord, we love you. That could be the understatement of the day. Will you continue to transform our character and our behaviors in a way that the results are that we love you all the more? See the pearl of great price and that we say, that exchange, it wasn't fair one bit. I was willing 
to give everything and you ask everything of me. But then in return, because you're so good as a giver and such a great father, you provide for my needs on top of me having Jesus. You've asked me to seek first your kingdom and all these other things will be added. You're asking me to persevere through the bad experience I'm having, the circumstances of change. It seems hard, God. I want to bail. God, I just ask that you would not rope us in, but that the Holy Spirit would be the one that connects us to the Holy of Holies like you've said, and you've guaranteed that. There's a deposit guaranteeing that in our souls. So God, I ask that you would tether us again to the cross, that we would see that Jesus was blasted, and that all anxieties of sin and transgression and all of the worry and the pain, that was all cast upon him. And so, Lord, that we can be in confidence that that took place as Jesus said it did, that he resurrected as he said he would, that he ascended to the throne to his rightful place as he predicted, as he spoke of, as all of the laws and the prophets already said hundreds, thousand years ahead of him. And so, God, we're in the story, and we're going down the river of life, and we forget. Will you forgive us, Lord? We're yelling out at the top of our lungs. Will you rescue us? We love you so much. And as we confess and just go through this hallway, we pray that it's not gimmicky, that it's just not anything but a time where we can just walk and be with you. We can be a community today, Lord, a real one that we didn't show up to quote-unquote church, but that we're your people. And that this is a natural, supernatural change of our life. Let us commit to you and to each other, Lord, and to the mission of reaching our world, of having the light, having the presence, and casting that shadow. We love you, God, and we just thank you for today. We thank you for who you are, most of all. Let us gaze upon you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.